Shalom. Welcome to our guests that are here with us today. And praise Yahweh for another Shabbat. Always the best day of the week. Uh, last week I gave a message that was kind of for our particular group. Don't do that too often, but uh, sometimes it's nice to do that. And I think everybody was talking afterward that we all got a lot out of it. Today, I'm giving more of a message for outside of our group. <laughs> so not to say we can't benefit from it, because it is something that's affecting all of us, inside or outside. But it's more connected on the outside. It's called, Everybody Was Doing What Was Right in Their Own Eyes. Everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. This is coming from the book of Judges, which I'm going to read a lot of stories from Judges today. And Judges 21-25 says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And when you look at the congregation of Yeshua, starting back to 30 AD, I've had the blessing of searching and studying congregational history for more than 30 years now. And uh, I've been starting to work on a book on that I hope to get to it sometime soon because I think it's extremely important because history tells not only the past, but it tells the present and it tells where we're going. You know, we know in Yahweh's circular pattern, uh, history is that's what it's there for, to learn the lessons, just like we were just reading today in Exodus, you know, that from Corinthians 10, the lessons that we learned from there. And coming from a background of... Uh, a stable congregation that was a part, you know, of the line that goes back to the early believers, you know, and being able to study that. Uh, what you see is that from the time of Yeshua, you know, Yeshua set a congregation there. He clearly says that the gates of hell will not prevail against his congregation. It was one of the things when I was very early on, you know, coming out of a false uh, paganized church and looking for really not even looking for the true church, but having it presented to me that, wow, Sunday is not the Sabbath day, and Christmas is a pagan holiday, and it's like, where is this coming from, you know? How can you crush the foundation of my religious beliefs? But one of the things in my mind when I read that scripture that said, you know, that the gates of hell will never prevail against my congregation, I knew then that if this is being true, that there had to be a true congregation throughout all that time. And by studying congregational history for 30 years, that's exactly what was proven. Not an organization, as some will try to prove, that our church organization uh, is that one true organization. That is absolutely not true. You know, there is no corporate entities in the first century AD, the way that started to happen under the Church of God Seventh Day in the year 1901 when they went and incorporated the Church of God Seventh Day. Uh, down at City Hall. I believe that was the beginning of the Laodicean era uh, that started at that time. But what you see is, you definitely see a continuation of the same remnant. There's no doubt about it. Because you see the same people. You even see graves that they found. You see a continuation of belief system. Now again, this was before the internet age, so that belief system may have been very basic and simple. When we look at Hebrews 6... <laughs> It's a very, very simple set of foundational doctrines. As a matter of fact, Paul is saying these are so foundational, we need to be moving ahead from here to the completeness of the faith. And yet even when you look at the foundational doctrines of Hebrews 6, repentance from dead works, baptism, laying on of hands, right? 
You know? Eternal judgment. Resurrection of the dead. That most people today in the Messianic movement, I'm going to talk a lot about the Messianic or Messianic movement, they don't even know these basic foundational truths. They've never been trained in them. So what we have is we have a very, very unique situation in the world today that has never happened. Like I said, from 30 AD, you had, which we'll see, Yeshua literally ordained, laid hands on 12 apostles. There were many more disciples. There were 12 apostles that he ordained. These people we'll see from Scripture ordained others. We'll see that at the end of the first century, Polycarp, the disciple of John, you know, went and continued this work in Asia Minor. We'll see that there were bishops that were in Rome that were building at this time. We have a whole course I teach on this at the Bible school for several months. We see in the second century, this divide started to become more. We see Polycrates keeps the faith in, like I said, Asia Minor is where most of the, the congregations that are staying to the original faith are. And then we see by the time Constantine comes, something very, very interesting happens. The church, completely, there's a new church that starts. Constantine is not a remnant of the congregation that Yeshua started. Constantine, Constantine starts something called the Universal, or Catholic Church. And what happens is many of the Roman bishops join with him to alleviate persecution. They were already going towards Sunday and Easter and some of these other things. And then we see there's mandates started from Constantine and then under his son, Julian the Apostate, that says anybody who's keeping Shabbat, anybody who's circumcising their children, anybody who's doing these things, keeping the holy days, that they're going to have all their uh, property confiscated, they're going to have all these things happening, and take the greater role to join the Universal Catholic Church. So, what we see what happens at this time, the true believers go underground. They go, go underground for... for Roughly 1,260 years. And we know it because history tells us where they went to. From Asia Minor, they went up to Armenia. They went to Romania. They went to these areas that were over there. They're called Bogomils. They're called Paulicians. We know from that time that they became Waldenses. Not for Peter Waldo who came later, but because Valdo means valley dwellers. And they were in the valleys of Switzerland and France and Italy. The same remnants of people. And the same thing continued. Because history tells us, praise Yahweh, we have these historical records, and praise Yahweh that I physically was able to go there. And where the Waldenses were, being the same caves that they were in, and that they allowed me to get some of these documents that are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old. They let me go into their archives, copy them, and to have them today. And it shows, what did they do? They went out two by two, and it was always, you'd have an older person and an elder that would go out with a newer person, and then they would train them, and they would go out, and they would train, and they would train. And what would they teach? They would teach repentance from dead works. They would teach baptism. Always Passover on the 14th of the first month. One of the very basic beliefs. The dead are asleep. Very, very basic belief. You see it in the Bible, and you see it all the true believers throughout time always believe that. Where does it come that the, 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 the dead go to heaven? It comes from the universal or Catholic church. So what happens? These two organizations go side by side for more than a thousand years. And what happens? Just like we know in the book of Galatians, what does it say? That the, that, that, that the, the one persecutes the other. You know? And this is exactly what happened. And we know from the Waldenses that many, many pogroms from the Romans went out against them. And they'd say, for 30 days you go and you wipe these people out. And they would come there and literally they would kill these people. They would, they would take their children. They would cut off their heads and force the believers to walk down the mountain with their heads 
of their children around their neck. But these people were willing to die for these beliefs. They were willing to die for the Sabbath day. They were willing to die for these cherished beliefs that we had. And then what happens? We know from there when the Waldenses and Martin Luther comes. And then things start to change, right? With the Protestant Reformation. But what, who are the Protestants? The Protestants are people that are coming out of Catholicism. See, the true church is still in the wilderness. The true church is still following the doctrine of Yeshua. But now you have Protestants who are protesting the universal church. And unfortunately, many of the Waldenses joined with them to get away from persecution. But you still have a true remnant that goes on from there. And where do they go? History tells us they go to Bavaria. And they become the Anabaptists. You know, and they become the Seventh-day Baptists. And then in 1620, exactly 1,260 years, like Revelation says, they come to America in the year 1620, when the pilgrims come. And many people don't know this, but it's written in the books, many pilgrims were Sabbath keepers. We know it with the early believers in the, in, the, in, in the United States, that many of these early believers, that Christmas was illegal at that time. That it wasn't a holiday until roughly the turn of the 20th century. And we know that there were many in New Jersey and Rhode Island and all these areas there were many Sabbath-keeping organizations there. And these Sabbath-keeping organizations that were, again, Anabaptists, Seventh-day Baptists, that many of the people today that we know as Amish and Mennonite, you know, were originally part of these people, of the true congregation. Then they went out from there and they joined in with the Universal Church. So when you're looking at Protestantism and you're looking at evangelical Christianity, they were never part of that true line. They came out of the apostate universal church. So now we have something that is amazing because as we go into now the 1800s, and we know from the great disappointment that happened, you know, in 1844 Yeshua was supposed to return and he didn't. So now we have something called Church of God Seventh Day that develops there. You know, and again, some of these organizations that want you to believe that it's a physical organization that I'm talking about, which I'm not. I'm talking about a spiritual organism. But they are remnants of people, of remnants of people, of remnants of people. And I believe that succession of, of baptism, I believe that succession of ordination never stopped. Because Yeshua said it would never stop. So what I want to know is, as you go now in Church of God Seventh Day, which is a remnant from then, and the Anabaptists and these other Sabbath-keeping organizations. And then, of course, we know in the 19th century, many people came out of something called Worldwide Church of God, which under Herbert Armstrong came out of the Church of God Seventh Day. It was a remnant of them. And then that organization went for about 50 years and broke up in the 1990s. And, and from that point on, something happened that has not happened in 2,000 years. What you had is you had all of these remnants of the apostate universal church starting to leave that organization and come back towards Sabbath observance. And this is going on now almost 20 years. And it's an amazing thing because it hadn't happened for 2,000 years. The opposite. What we see in the history of the true congregation for 2,000 years from the time of Yeshua is that whenever it got too big, what would happen? That people would join the apostate church. But then the true remnant would keep to the truth and keep going on. Now, in these last days, something opposite happens. They come from the apostate, and they start coming back to the Shabbat. They start coming back to the Torah. And at first, it's like, wow, this is something that's terrific. But there's one problem. There's no judicial order. There's no judicial order. 
And after 20 years of seeing this, to be honest with you, I think they're better off staying in their apostate church. Because what they've done is, they've done exactly what Constantine did, only a thousand times over. They've taken a synchronism, which means when they left their apostate church, right? Okay, the Sabbath is good. The Sabbath is a commandment. The Sabbath is, is the sign between us and Yahweh. But the Sabbath is only one of 613 laws in the Torah. And what they did was they came into, started in, infiltrating in to the true congregations without any kind of judicial order, without any kind of training. You had people claiming leadership without any kind of, not only ordination, without any kind of formal training. None. Zero. One day they're a Baptist minister, or even worse, one day they're just, just maybe an apostate evangelical, and with the rise of the internet, they start writing books, and they start putting up websites. And the next thing you know, they're some kind of leader. Who made them a leader? Where did they come from? Where is their training, like we see for 2,000 years? It's non-existent. So what starts to happen? If you look in the 2,000-year history of Yeshua's congregation, you will never find a lunar Sabbath. You will never find that the dead go to heaven. You will never find the, 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 the false doctrine of the immortal soul. Some of these basic beliefs that are so simple that you could prove to somebody in five minutes. We've never had it in 2,000 years. But these people that are coming from the universal church, and like I said, it doesn't matter if you're evangelical, Protestant, or whatever, they're all coming from the same root. Because the Protestants came out of the Catholicism and the evangelicals came out of the Protestants. So now, these people that are claiming leadership, what are they doing? They're allowing women to teach so clearly against Scripture. I mean, come on, how can somebody look in the New Testament and not see that? You know, clearest thing in the world. They're bringing in the false tongues, which is not only a false doctrine, it's demonic. There is a demonic spirit that was given over to them in these paganized cultic religions that they came out of, and they're bringing that demon spirit with them into the Messianic movement. So I get letters almost every week of the year with people telling me, why is it so confusing? Why is there hundreds of calendars? Why is everybody teaching something different? And it's real simple. Because the leadership that some are seeking after was never ordained by Yahweh. It's that simple. Because if you look at the remnants of the true congregation of Yahweh, and I'll say this because this will go around the world. I'm not saying I'm it. I'm not saying I'm the only guy. I'm not saying I'm the only person. I'm not saying that. I am saying I am part of that remnant. I was ordained in that remnant by someone who was ordained, by someone who was ordained, that was literally somebody who was ordained by Yeshua. I believe that a thousand percent. And I believe that Yeshua put that down there, specifically as we see in Acts the 8th chapter, because he knew we were going to get to this point. And he knew we were going to get to the point that you were going to have true people that follow his doctrine and you're going to have false people that are following every kind of chaos. And he knew that there'd be babes out there that are just coming out of the chaos and they're going to have to know where to go. So it's important that people understand this, that Yahweh had judicial order. He had judicial order then, he has judicial order now. And the people who want to follow judicial order, they're not going to go the way of that. But remember... The seven churches in Revelation, although they, you can show periodically through history that these churches were at different times, there's certainly seven end-time congregations. And the Laodicean in the time we're living in clearly is the end-time most element of what most people are in the world today. 
What does Laodicean mean? Laodicean means ruled by the people. And it's not just in the congregation, it's in the world. You know, we see it in, in the Middle East, this Arab Spring. What is it? It's Laodicean, ruled by the people. You know, we see it in many uprisings coming around the world. Some people think that the country of the United States was Yahweh's country and the way it was built. And in our class, when we talk about the kingdom of Yahweh and what a real kingdom is, people are shocked to find out that democracy, or I like to say demonocracy, it's not the way of Yahweh. You know, the Constitution, from a worldly standpoint, it may be better than some of the things that the world has, but how does it start? We the people. Anything that starts with we the people is, is, is bound to fail, and it is failing because it's like that. So I say it's like if somebody was born in a desert island, right, and now they're 20, 30 years old, and they don't know really anything, and now they're coming out of that island and you're bringing them into the world and you're explaining things to them, you know? They, they may know how coconuts grow on trees or something else, but they don't know a lot of things. So you start to say, you know, I want to explain something to you. There's this thing called religion. Ooh, religion, what's religion? Well, religion is that there's, there's a spirituality that, you know, we all came from somewhere. There's, there's a creator somewhere that created us. Wow, that makes sense. We had to come from somewhere. And then you bring them into a room and you say, okay, Go in this room and, and start reading these books and you'll learn about this thing called religion. And there's a Koran, and there's a Bible, and there's a, a, a Bhagavad Gavita from the, the uh, Indians, the Hindus, you know, and then there's New Age stuff, and maybe there's even a Kabbalah. And you have all these, this stuff in there, and you leave them in there for a month. And you say, read all these books and, and then get back to me. What do you think is going to happen after 30 days? Now, let's even go further. Let's say you did this with 100 people. How many different belief systems do you think you're going to get out of 100 people? You're going to get 100 different belief systems. Because in our human nature, everybody will take a little here and a little there. And everyone will come up with something different. And my point of the matter is, that's exactly what's happening today in the Messianic movement. And that's why it's Messianic. Because there is no foundation in the Messianic movement. There is no absolute of doctrine. What there is is just a chaotic form of, of anybody that's able to slap up a website or sell a video. And that's the messianic movement. And that's what it's consisted of and that's what it's conformed to. So it's only logical that in the end of the day, you're going to have nothing but chaos. Because there has to be some moral absolute. It's one of the reasons why I think the purpose of man paper is so extremely important. Because the purpose of man paper shows us that there were moral absolutes. You know, we're not going to say that, well, at creation, Yahweh allowed people to marry their sisters. You know? And then all of a sudden, later, he decided it's not a good thing. No. Marrying your sister is abominable. It was abominable in the Garden of Eden. It was abominable in Israel. And it's abominable today. That's what Yahweh's word tells us. He tells us in Leviticus 18 that this is an abominable practice of the Canaanites that were before you and why they're kicked out of the land. It's that simple. So I always say, I'm just naive enough to believe it. I'm not going to try to read into Yahweh. I'm not going to try to say that, well, you know, like pork. Well, the only reason why he said not to eat pork is because they didn't have refrigerators. You know? But today we have refrigerators, so we can eat pork because we can refrigerate it. Nope. It doesn't make sense. Like we always say the Bible, the, not the Bible, the bumper sticker. Yahweh said it. I believe it. That ends it. So there's got to be some kind of moral absolute. There has to be some kind of of absolute truths. There has to be a basis for what our belief comes from. And this is the reason why Yeshua specifically worked 
with 12 men for three years. And then set a foundation of truth to bring on, to bring on, to bring on. And without that foundation of truth, what are we really left with? We're left with judges. Everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. So I want to go through some stories in Judges today. Before I start with that, I would like to say that the internet is the main culprit in this. Without the internet, this could not have happened. So it's not just a coincidence that for 2,000 years, everything was trained through elder to elder to elder. And now it goes through website to website to website. You know, it's impossible to have happened without the internet. And the internet is not a standard of truth, but a standard for justification. It's an important thing to understand. The internet is not a standard of truth, but a standard for justification. When you're learning to be a doctor or a lawyer or anything else, you want somebody who learned through the standard of the medical profession. I don't think if you had to have brain surgery, you would just want a bartender to come and say, I'll give it a try. I don't know how it'll work. Come on, give me, give me the knife. You know, Especially after maybe he had a few beers. So there's a standard. There's a standard. When you're a lawyer, you have to take what's called the bar test. Because there's a standard of law. And when you come into a court, the judge that's before you, he knows the law. And he's going to judge according to the interpretation of the law. So if someone didn't learn the standard code, if they're learning the internet, you know, from witch doctors, you know, down here in Jamaica, it's not going to help you much when you're in court. So that's my point, that everything has a standard the same way that scripture has a standard. The internet has taken away that standard. Like I say, it's not a standard for truth, but simply for justification. The internet has no standard. Anybody can put anything online, and there's no, you don't need any kind of... Uh, Credentials, you don't need anything. There's nobody to check it out. There's nobody that approves you of what you're doing. You just basically have to know how to put the thing online. And the proof of it is, look up anything. Prove what I'm saying today. Look up anything. Look up colloidal silver. And you know what you'll find out? Colloidal silver is the miracle drug that can solve everything to AIDS. And now go to another website and colloidal silver will kill you. <laughs> it's, but it's not just colloidal silver. It's everything. Look up anything. You know, anything from the lunar Sabbath to any doctrine, you know, the immortal soul is, the mortal soul isn't. You can find anything on the internet, this side or this side. Which, what, what, right off the bat, would that tell you? How can it be something that Yahweh would want us to, to, to be part of? It's not a matter of truth, but for justification. The Bible is the tree of life, the internet is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And like I said, it doesn't mean you can't find good things there. But within the good is a lot of evil. It's that simple. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I certainly believe the hand of Satan is much more in that internet than the hand of Yahweh. There's no doubt about it. So it's something definitely that we should be cautious for. If not limiting ourselves to it. But again, no matter how many times you warn people, it's the label to say an error. It's the label to say an error. We know Yahweh hasn't set up Facebook. Yahweh has a set of social networking. You know, we heard very good sermons at the feast, year over year. I gave a good sermon on the internet two years ago. Eric gave an excellent message on social networking, and people still do it. Even though Yahweh ain't in it. Because it's the Laodicean era. It's the era of ruled by the people. You know, and that's what you get. I say, it's not a good era to be a leader. <laughs> you know, there was an era before this, you could be a leader, and it was great. This is the era where we're not going to listen to anything. We're going to check you out. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. But hey, it is what it is. You know, there's a time for everything like we learned. 
So you have to you have to roll with the punches, so to speak. We live in the era we live in. We have to learn how to adapt and to just. But also, we have to survive to the end. You have to endure to the end. And if we don't understand these kind of things, if we don't understand how to limit these things in our life, we ain't going to make it. I mean, the time is coming, what Scripture says. It's the worst time the man has ever known, and if possible, even the elect would be deceived. I said this many times, Revelation 13 is very, very scary. Where it says that, and all the earth worshipped the beast and took its mark, and then the next chapter says, whoever takes the mark of the beast will go to the lake of fire. So, I always say, I'm, I'm a mathematician. I don't like the odds of the law and probability of that statement. You know, if 90, 95, 97% of the people in this world are not going to make it, what makes me think I can? And the only thing that gives us chance is by staying in the book alone. By keeping away from these kind of things. By not being one of these, everyone who's doing what's right in their own eyes. That logic will tell you right off the bat that if for 2,000 years, Yeshua's congregation, and going back to Israel, going back 3,500 years, was keeping the Sabbath, the seventh day of every week, who am I that I'm going to think in these last days that I'm going to come up with something great that the Sabbath rotates by the, the face of the moon? Even though it's never been done, even though there's no historical proof of it, it just happens that way because everybody else is wrong and I'm right. And this is, this is the end of the line where the Internet comes from. People do not want to follow structure set down by Yeshua, not by man, but set down by Yeshua, the doctrine set down by Yeshua. And like I said, they're coming from Christianity without any kind of judicial order, and they're bringing their wares. They're coming with guns barreled out. You know, like I said, I know being, being in, in a, a covenant congregation for almost 15 years, when I was first came in, I never had to deal with the, the topic of false tongues, Yeshua not existing, not pre-existing. I mean, just basic heresies that are so vile. And people are allowed to bring it into these congregations. And like I said, most of these big ministries, one of the, the way you can tell right off the bat, beside the fact they have no justification from Yahweh for what they're doing, they're not ordained. They haven't been trained in leadership. They're selling His Word. Another thing that the Bible clearly says, that Yeshua's people, Yeshua's leaders, Yeshua's elders will never sell His Word. John 10 clearly says, my sheep know my voice, they'll never follow a stranger. But I'm telling you, we're living in a very, very dangerous time. And you have to protect yourself. So let's go to the book of Judges. Let's look at some of these. Now, we'll start in Judges 4. Because literally, I've had people justifying women preachers by the story I'm going to read here. Deborah. And like I said, if you want to prove a point... Please, don't go to the book of Judges. <laughs> Judges is where you disprove the point, not prove the point, as we're going to see here. Judges is where everybody's doing right in their own eyes. So let's look at the story of Deborah, and I'm not against Deborah. I think she was an admirable woman. I think she tried to do the best she could under the situation. Who I judge in these situations are the men, like Barak. Like I said, you can't have a Jezebel unless you have an Ahab. And in this situation, you didn't have men that were properly taking their position. But in Judges 4 it says, And the sons of Israel did evil again in the sight of Yahweh when Ehud was dead. And Yahweh sold them into the hand of Jabin, the king of Canaan, who ruled in Hatsor. We've been there many times. And his army commander was Sisera. And he lived in Harasheth of the nations. 
And the sons of Israel cried to Yahweh, for he had 900 chariots of iron. And he mightily oppressed the sons of Israel 20 years. And Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth, a woman prophetess, was judging Israel at that time. And she lived under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hills of Ephraim. And the sons of Israel went up to her for judgment. And she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinonam, out of Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, Has not Yahweh the Elohim of Israel commanded? Go and draw toward Mount Tabor, and take ten thousand men of the sons of Naphtali, and of the sons of Zebulon with you. And I will draw to you at the Kishon River, Sisera, the army commander of Jabin, and his chariots and his multitude, and shall give him into your hands. And Barak said to her, If you go with me, then I will go. And if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will certainly go with you, but surely you shall not get the glory because of the way which you are going. For Yahweh shall sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. And Deborah rose up and went with Barak to Kadesh. So again, using Deborah as an example, why women are allowed to, to preach is absolutely absurd. You know, because clearly what she's saying here, like I said, she's admirable for trying to do something a man wouldn't do. But clearly she said, you know, here's Barak, the man who's saying he won't go unless Deborah goes with him. And she says, okay, I'll go. But if I do, you're going to be shamed that Israel has to be sold into the hand by a woman. So again, no judicial order. Right here, no judicial order. Judges 9. We see the story of Ahimelech, the son of Gideon. And I'll start in verse 1. And Ahimelech, the son of Jerubal, Gideon, went to Shechem to his mother's brothers and spoke with them and all the family of the house of the mother's father, saying, Please speak in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem. Which is best for you, seventy men ruling over you, all the sons of Jerubal, or one man ruling over you? And you should remember that I am your bone and your flesh. And his mother's brother spoke all these words about him in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem. And their heart inclined after Ahimelech. For they said, He is our brother. And they gave him seventy silverlings out of the house of Baal-bareth. And Ahimelech hired worthless and reckless men with him. And they went after him. And he went into his father's house of Ophrah and killed his brothers, the sons of Jeroboam, seventy men on one stone. But Yotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, was left, and he was hidden. And all the leaders of Shechem were gathered together in all the house of Milo, and they came and caused Ahimelech to reign as king at the oak of the outpost, which is in Shechem. We drop down to verse 23. And Elohim sent an evil spirit between Ahimelech and the leaders of Shechem, and the leaders of Shechem dealt deceitfully with Ahimelech, that the violence against Jeroboam's seventy sons, even their blood, might be put on their brother Ahimelech who killed them and on the leaders of Shechem, who made his hand strong to kill his brothers. And the leaders of Shechem set men in ambush at the tops of the mountains, and they robbed all who passed by them on the highway. And it was told to Ahimelech. And Gaal, the son of Ebed, and his brothers came, and they passed on to Shechem, and the leaders of Shechem trusted in him. And they went out into the fields and gathered their vineyards and trod out and made a festival and went into the house of their god and ate and drank and cursed Ahimelech. And Gaal, the son of Ebed, said, Who is Ahimelech? Who was Shechem, that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jeroboam and Zebul, his commander? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem. And why should we serve him? And who will give this people in my hand? Then I would remove Ahimelech. And he said to Ahimelech, Multiply your army and come out. 
So we see it's a situation. One minute they're for him, one minute they're against him. He's killing all his brothers. Now they're coming and they want to kill him. Every man's doing what's right in his own eyes. Absolutely no judicial order, no loyalty, no, no, no absolutes, no standard of truth as we're seeing. Drop down to verse 50. We see the end of the matter. And Ahimelech went to Thebes and camped against Thebes and captured it. And a strong tower was in the middle of the city, and the leaders of the city and all the men and the women fled there. And they shut it behind them and went up on the roof of the tower. And Ahimelech came to the tower and fought against it. And he drew near to the door of the tower in order to burn it with fire. And a certain woman threw a piece of a riding millstone on Ahimelech's head and crushed his skull. And he quickly called on the young men bearing his weapons and said to him, Draw your sword and cause me to die, that they not say of me, a woman killed him. And his young man thrust through him and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Ahimelech was dead, then each one went to his place. And Elohim returned the evil of Ahimelech, which he did to his father, to kill his seventy brothers. And all the evil of the men of Shechem, Elohim turned back on their heads. And the curse of uh, Jotham, the son of Jerobel, came on them. So, uh, just, just terrible, terrible things that are happening. Like I said, you would think, you know, that if there was some kind of order, you know, it's like in a town when you have policemen, you know, do we fear the police? Of course not. The police are there to protect you. You know, the one who fears the policeman is the one who's doing something illegal. So what we see is the same thing that's happening in Judges. There, there's no reigning body. There's nobody here to protect the people. And it's winding up with chaos. Now we go to Judges 14 where they do have a leader, but not a very good leader. His name, Shimson. <laughs> Samson. Like I said, very interesting character, but not somebody we really want to emulate. <laughs> You know, he's one of these characters that has all of these abilities, but in the end, where does it get him? Not too far. So we'll start out here in Judges 14. And Samson went down to Timoth and saw a woman in Timoth of the daughters of the Philistines. First mistake, we know Samson had a weakness with women. We know that Yahweh clearly from the very beginning had sanctified uh, for Israel to stay separate from the world. We know in the New Testament it's the same thing. He considers it sin for a believer to uh, be in, 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 in marital status with an unbeliever. But look what happens. And he came up and told his father and mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timoth of the daughters of the Philistines. And now get her for me for a wife. So again, we see that Samson very much, even though he had a lot of physical strength, he had absolutely no self-control. One of his biggest problems, and almost everything that happened to him happened from here. And his father and his mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your brothers, and among all my people, that you must take a woman from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is pleasing in my eyes. Just like with Eve, right? Lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and able to make one wise. Now if we drop down to verse 20, uh, verse 10. We'll see what happens from him making this, this move. And his father went down to the woman, and Samson made a feast there. For so the young men usually did. And it happened when, he saw, when they saw him, they took thirty companions, and they were with him. And Samson said to them, Please let me riddle a riddle to you. If declaring you declare to me in the seven days of the feast, and find out, then I shall give you thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothing. And if you are not able to tell me, then you shall give me thirty linens of garment and thirty changes of clothing. And they said to him, Riddle your riddle, and we shall hear it. 
And he said to them, Out of the eater came forth food, and out of the strong came forth sweetness. And they were not able to declare the widow the riddle in three days. And it happened on the seventh day, they said to Samson's wife, Entreat your husband, that he may declare us the riddle, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you called for us to make us poor? Is it not so? And Samson's wife wept before him and said, You only hate me, and you do not love me. You have riddled the riddle to the sons of my people, and you have not declared it to me. And he said to her, Behold, I have not declared it to my father, and to my mother shall I declare it to you. And she wept before him the seven days on which they feasted. And it was on the seventh day he told her, for she distressed him. And she told the riddle to the sons of her people. Here it is again. Going after false woman he shouldn't have. She's not loyal to him. Bad situations are happening. Then let's look what happens from here. And the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down. Another proof that the day goes from sunset to sunset. And she told him uh, before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey? And what is stronger than a lion? The answer to the riddle. And he said to them, unless you had plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. And the spirit of Yahweh came upon him and he went down to Ashkelon and struck 30 men of them and took their plunder. And he gave the changes to those who told the riddle and his anger glowed and he went up to his father's house. And Samson's wife became his companions who had been his flock watcher. Oh, what a terrible story. First of all, lust, going after the wrong woman, not following Yahweh's command, you know. Then anger coming, lack of self-control. And then instead of paying the way he should have, going down and stealing from somebody else, beating up somebody else. And then his wife goes and lives with somebody else. Like I said, who wants to go to judges as a standard of the way we should be acting? The very opposite. Judges is a standard of what we should not be doing. Judges 16. See the last part with Samson here. And Samson went to Gaza and saw a woman there, a harlot, and went into her. <laughs> Gets worse. And the Gazites were told, saying, Samson has come here. And they encircled and set a trap for him all the night at the gate of the city. And they kept quiet all night, saying, until the light of the morning, then we will kill him. And Samson lay down until the middle of the night and rose up in the middle of the night. And he took hold on the leaves of the gate of the city and on the two side posts and plucked them up with the bar and put them on his shoulders and told them up to the top of the mountain, took them to the top of the mountain that is before Hebron. And it happened afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sork, and her name was Delilah. And the Philistines rulers came to her and said to her, Entice him and see in what lies his great strength and by what we may prevail against him so that we may blind, bind him to afflict him. And we will surely give to you 1,100 pieces of silver. So again, more terrible stories coming from the leader here. Adultery, running around with harlots, then chasing this other woman. You know, more, more anger, more, more things coming in, deceit. That's all we're seeing that's coming from here. Now let's go to chapter 17. Another really odd story that comes up. And there was a man of the hills of Ephraim, and his name was Micah. And he said to his mother, The eleven hundred pieces of silver which were taken from you, and you uttered a curse, even also speak in my ear. Pretty interesting, the same number that comes from chapter 16. Was his mother possibly Delilah? Who knows? Or somehow, but it's, it's an interesting connection, especially since it's only one chapter apart. The silver is with me. So here it is, the son stole the mother's silver. And now he's saying that he has it. More just outright, no, no character whatsoever that you're seeing in these people. And he says, I've taken it. And his mother says, blessed be my son by Yahweh. 
And he gave back the 1,100 pieces to his mother. And his mother said, I have wholly consecrated the silver to Yahweh from my hand for my son to make a graven image and a molten image. And now I'm returning it to you. Oh, how great. You know, at least they had a little bit of character to give it back to make a, 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 a graven image, right? And he returned the silver to his mother, and his mother took 200 silver pieces and gave them to a refiner, and he made it a graven image and a molten image, and it was in Miha's house. And the man Miha had a house of gods, and he made an ephah and household items. Ephah only should be to the priest. And he consecrated one of his sons, and he was a priest to him. How different than today. Like I said, Yeshua ordained 12, who ordained 12, who ordained 12, who ordained 12, and here we are, 2,000 years later, you know, and I'll, I'll bank my salvation on that because Yeshua said it. But here we have today. People are making priests out of nowhere. People are, are, are claiming priesthood out of nowhere. You know, there was a judicial order. You had 12 tribes, 13 if you count two tribes for Joseph. Only one was priests. Only one was priests. It didn't make them any better than anybody else. It was simply their job. Every tribe had different abilities. Every tribe had something that Yahweh had them to do. Every tribe had different things in their land. One had good agriculture. One had good, like up in the Golan Heights, good for, for uh, cattle. But there was one priest he set aside to be priests, the Levites. And today, you see that people are just making anybody. Hey, you know what? You be the priest. You know, you're... We need a priest, you be the priest. And in those days there was no king in Israel, verse 6. Each man did what was right in his own eyes. Let's be honest, how different is it today? Not much different. People are doing the exact same thing. And there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, and he was a Levite. And he resided there. And the man went out of the city, out of Bethlehem, Judah, to live there, that he might find a place. And he came to the hills of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, to work his way. And Micah said to him, from where do you come? And he said to him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem, Judah, and I am going to live where I may find a place. And Miha said to him, Live with me and be a father and a priest to me. <laughs> and I will give you ten silver pieces for the days and in order of garments in your upkeep in the Levite went in. How different is it from the, the, the hirelings we have today? You know? Sure, they don't have to preach any doctrine. It doesn't matter. You could leave your spouse and go marry another. You're welcome in the congregation. As long as you're buying my books, as long as you're buying my videos, as long as you're putting money in the box, you know? Same exact story, same exact situation. And the Levite was willing to live with the man, and the young man was to him as one of his sons. And Mihah filled the hand of the Levite, and the young man was a priest to him, and he was in Mihah's house. So we see exactly the same thing. Every man doing what was right in his own eyes. Then we get to chapter 18. It gets worse. And verse 1, In those days there was no king in Israel. Mentions it again four times. It's mentioned in this book. And in those days the tribe of the Danites was seeking an inheritance for itself to inhabit. For to that day it had not fallen to them by inheritance among the tribes of Israel. And we know what happens, that they come over here, they come to the house, they wound up, Mika, the owners, away. They wind up finding the Levite, the priest, and they say, hey, why be a priest to only one guy? You could be a priest to the whole tribe. And what is the Levite? He's an opportunist, as we already saw. So he's got no loyalty to Mika. He said, hey, that sounds good. I'll go with you guys. So what happens? Mika comes home, finds out his priest and his idols are gone, and he's going to hop up on his horse or his donkey, and he's going to chase these guys. So I'm going to pick up here. In verse uh, 16, And the 600 men of the sons of Dan girded with their weapons of war and were standing at the opening of the gate. And 
No, I'll, I'll pass down. Verse 20, the heart of the priest was glad. He took the ephah and the household idols and the graven image, and he went among the people, the Danites. And they turned in the part and then put the little ones and the livestock and the valuables before them. They had gone far away from Miha's house, and the men who were in the house near Miha's house had been called together and had overtaken the sons of Dan. And they called to the sons of Dan, and they turned their faces and said to Miha, What ails you that you have been called together? <laughs> here they is, they steal all this stuff, and it's like, what's the big deal? You know, what are, what are you doing here? And he said, You've taken my gods, which I made, and the priest, and you're leaving. And what more do I have? What is this you say to me, what ails you? And the sons of Dan said to him, Do not let your voice be heard among us, that men bitter in soul not fall on you when you lose your life and the lives of your household. And the sons of Dan went on their way, and Miha saw that they were stronger than he was. And they turned and went back to his house. And they took that which Miha had made, and the priest he had, and came to Lahish against the people, quiet and secure. So now they say, get lost, or we'll kill you. They come up to Lahish, which is Tell Dan, we know today, these people are sitting there, quiet and secure, not bothering anybody, and look what happens. And they struck them with the mouth of the sword and burned the city with fire. And there was no deliverer, because it was far from Sidon, and they had no business with any men. And it was in the valley which is beside Beth Rehob, and they built the city, and they lived in it. So, this is the kind of situation you're dealing in. No integrity, no loyalty, you know, no truth, everybody doing what's right in their own eyes. The last story I want to go into from Judges, the worst of all of them, in Judges 19. I'll read verse 1 and 2 and then drop down to 17. And it happened in those days when there was no king in Israel. We see it again. There was a man, a Levite, living on the furthest side of the hills of Ephraim, and he took a wife to himself, a concubine, out of Bethlehem, Judah. And his concubine committed adultery against him. And she went away from him to her father's house to Bethlehem, Judah, and was there many days, four months. And then we know he goes after her. The father of the concubine is holding him for a few days. They're drinking and eating. Finally, he wants to get on his way. And it gets much worse. I'll drop down to verse 17. So they were out here in the night as they're going. And he lifted up his eyes and saw the man, a traveler, in a broad place of the city. And the aged man said, where are you going and where do you come from? And he said to him, we are passing from Bethlehem, Judah, to the other side of the hills of Ephraim. I am from there, and I am going to Bethlehem, Judah, and I am going to the house of Yahweh. Let there be no man to take me into his house. Yet there is no man to take me into his house. But there is straw and food for our donkeys, and also there is bread and wine for me and for your slave girl. For the young man with your servants, there is no lack of anything. And the old man said, Peace to you, only all that you lack shall be on me. Only do not spend the night in the open. And he brought him to his house and mixed fodder for the donkeys, and they washed their feet, and they ate and drank. And they were making their hearts merry, and behold, men in the city, sons of worthless men, went around the house, beating on the door, and they spoke to the old man, the housekeeper, saying, Bring out the man who has come into your house, and we shall know him, just like Sodom and Gomorrah. They're coming after the man, not even the woman, which is showing you more perversion here. And the man, the housemaster, went into them and said, No, my brothers, please do not do evil, since this man has come into my house. Do not do this grave sin. Behold, my daughter, a virgin, and his concubine. Please let me bring them out, and you humble them. And do to them which is good in your eyes, but do not do this wicked thing to this man. And the men were not willing to listen to him. And the man took hold of his concubine and brought her out to them outside. And they knew her and abused her all night until the morning. And they sent her away at the dawning of the day. And the woman came in at the dawning of the morning and fell at the door of the man's house, where her master was, till it was light. And her master rose up in the morning and opened the door of the house 
and went out to go his way, and behold, a woman his concubine had fallen at the door of the house, and her handmaids were on, and her hands were on the threshold. And he said to her, Rise up, and we will go. But there was no answer. And he took her on the donkey, and the man rose up and went to his place. And he came to his house and took the knife and laid hold on his concubine. And he cut her in pieces to her bones into twelve pieces and sent her into the borders of Israel. And it was so all who saw it said, There has never been and never was seen a thing like this from the day the sons of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt till this day. Set yourselves on it, take counsel, then speak. So, wow! I mean, whew! I'll tell you, if this was an apocryphal book, I would say there's no way this could have been one of the, the books in the Bible with these kind of stories. But unfortunately, it is. It's a book in the time of Judges. It's a book in the time where there was no leadership. It's a book in the time when everybody was doing right into their own eyes. And this is the end result. The same end result we see today from 20 years of the Messianic movement. of Without people having proper doctrine, proper leadership, proper judicial order that Yeshua sent down, it will only get worse. And that's why, to me, there's many things that we can say, we can prove from the scripture that we're in the last generation. There is no greater proof that we are in the last generation than what I'm talking about today. Because if we went another generation, there'd be nobody left. Because it's not just something in Babylon. Although Babylon is the core of this problem. This is, this is affected everywhere in the world to some degree or another. Because through the internet, like I said, you can get, you can, you, you can surf and search and grab any kind of information you want to anything. No true shepherds, only hirelings and opportunists selling their wares. That's what you see. No loyalty or wanting to be planted in a congregation to bear fruit for the kingdom. When it says there was no king in the land, what are they saying? Yahweh was meant to be their king, remember? And Samuel, where Yahweh said, don't be sad, Samuel, they have not rejected you, but rejected me. So when they're saying there was no king in the land, and the judges were to administrate the Torah for Yahweh, what it's really telling us is they've rejected Yahweh, not man. Just like we read in Exodus 16. It's Yahweh they're rejecting, not man, because Yahweh was to be their leader. When you reject Yahweh's judicial order, you reject Yahweh. If we look in John 13 and verse 20, Yeshua says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who receives whomever I may send receives me. And the one who receives me receives the one who sent me. Judicial order, very clearly. Went on for 2,000 years. Yeshua didn't have to come to earth. He didn't have to train people for three years. He did it because he set a precedent. He set a precedent that there would be proper, and we'll see, that not anybody could just say, I'm the leader. That biblically speaking, there is a very, very, not harsh, but very, very strict uh, uh, qualifications. So, so that the wrong people don't get in the wrong place because they affect many peoples. If we go to Ephesians 4, But I'll tell you, if the book of Judges doesn't shock you, I don't know what will. It is a shocking book to think, not just the things that are being done, they're shocking enough, but the mindset that goes beyond it, how people thought, is, is very scary. But no more scary than what we're seeing today. Ephesians 4 and verse 10. He that came down in the same, he that came down is the same that he who went up above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he, he indeed, and indeed, he has assigned some to be apostles, 
some prophets, some evangelists, some shepherds and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the working of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Messiah. Until we all may come to the unity of the faith and of the full knowledge of the Son of Elohim, to a full-grown man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Messiah. That so that we may no longer be children being blown and carried by every wind of false doctrine of men, who through their craftiness are very skilled in deceiving the people. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up to him in all things, who is the head, the Messiah. And like I always say, these are not titles. They are job descriptions. Pastor, preacher, prophet, they are job descriptions. But clearly, what is he saying? It's there for the unity of the faith, till we all come to the same doctrine. It's in the 2,000 years of, 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 this, of, of, of Yeshua having a congregation, there has never been more chaos and disunity of doctrine than you have today on a worldwide level. Never. I mean, there's always been. You could look and, and there's always been kind of cults and false beliefs here and there. Even in the first century or uh, late first century, early second century, you had people called Nazareans. You know, who were Assyrian priests. They believed in Yeshua, but they didn't believe in his deity. So you always had these fringe people, but they were very small. They were very small. Today you have this worldwide. You have it worldwide. Yeshua set up a true elderhood to protect the flock and bring proper do doctrine. That's the job. Not to rule over the people. As we see from Revelation, he hates the spirit of the Nicolaitans. Unfortunately, some of these people that I believe were properly ordained and leaders did go to a spirit of the Nicolaitans and disqualified themselves. And that's why I say an elder is not a title. It's not like when you become a doctor and you get this thing you put on your wall. It's a job description. So how long do I keep that description of an elder as long as I'm fulfilling the, the description that the Bible says? The minute I'm not fulfilling that description anymore, I'm no longer a biblical elder. And that's the problem that some of these people don't see. Some of these people that may have started out right and were even ordained right and were elders. They went to, to, down the wrong track. And now they're not biblically qualified anymore to be an elder because they're not following the biblical qualifications as we're going to see. So it's not, it's not a blind, subservient view toward this because we each have free will and we do have the ability, even with Yahweh, whether we're going to obey or whether we're not going to obey. And Yahweh doesn't force us even with him. He gives us the Torah. He says, I put before you life and death. Choose life. So it's the same. The Bible tells us, test the spirits. So it's not, it's not just a, 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 a blind submission. But once you test those spirits, and once you read the scriptures, and once you understand you know, where Yahweh has put his leadership, then it's each of our responsibility, like the Bible says, to submit one to another. That is the only way you're going to have proper <clears throat> judicial order and harmony in the Bible or in the congregation. Second Peter 1, 2 Peter 1 in verse 20, it says, Knowing this, that not every prophecy of Scripture is made clear in its own book. For prophecy did not come by the will of man, but by holy men of Yahweh who spoke when they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. <coughs> so we see when people are un properly put in leadership and they haven't been tra trained correctly, what will they do? You see this every day of the week. They will take scriptures out of context and they will come up with doctrines that just aren't there. Whether it's the lunar Sabbath, whether it's the day starts at sunrise, whatever it is, because you can take one scripture out of context and make it say anything. You know, like I said, you could take two scriptures where it says, you know, 
Judas went out and hung himself, and take another scripture that says, go and do likewise, put them together, and you're going to be in a bad situation. So that's why it's here a little, there a little, line upon line, precept upon precept. You have to know where to put them together. But like you said here, it's not a private interpretation, which when men set themselves up as leaders with no judicial order, and, and, there, and there, there's no checks and balances, what's going to happen? They can say whatever they want, and there's nobody there to check them on it. There's absolutely nobody there to check them on Sometimes people say to me, well, Don, who checks you? <laughs> i got more than 200 elders that work with me. And believe me, I get checked more than anybody. If I sneeze the wrong way, I get about 200 letters coming in. You know, did you really mean that? Did you say this? So there's, there's got to be with everybody. You know, there's got to be a check, a, a check and balance. And of course, the scripture is our ending uh, result. Deuteronomy 17. I think an interesting scripture to look at when we're looking at this. Deuteronomy 17. In verse 8, it says, If a matter is too hard for you in judgment between blood and blood, between cause and cause, or between stroke and stroke, matters of strife within your gates, then you shall rise up to go to the place which Yahweh your Elohim shall choose, which we know was Jerusalem, and you shall come into the priests, the Levites, and to the judges who are in those days, and shall inquire. And they shall declare the word of judgment to you. Interesting enough, he says, you come into who? The Levites. The priest and the judges, you know, the leaders of your, your people, and they are to give the word of judgment, and you shall do according to the word which they declare to you from the place which Yahweh shall choose, and you shall be careful to do according to all they direct you. Now, interesting enough, these people are human beings, and even when you try your best, there's going to be times you're going to be wrong in your judgment for a number of reasons. The Bible never says follow only if their judgment is correct. It simply says, follow the judgment that they give you. You shall do according to the mouth of the Torah which they direct you, and according to the judgment which they deliver to you. You shall not turn aside from the word which they declare to you, right or left. And the man who acts with pride is not to listen to the priest who is standing to serve Yahweh or Elohim there, or to the judge, even that man shall die, and you shall cut off the evil from Israel. So you don't see in biblical times, according to the standard that Yahweh set up, that every man has the opportunity to do what's right in his own eyes. You know, and I've had this happen. I've had it happen where in the congregation there was a situation that uh, couldn't be worked out you know, with me and somebody. So we went to the eldership and we said, here's the situation. And I believed I was right. And yet I was ruled against. Was somebody working with me that destroyed something on private time, not during work time? I was the boss. They were my worker. And I felt since I lent it to them on private time, not work time, and they broke it, they should replace it. But the leadership said no. They felt because the person's working with me, it shouldn't be. And that was fine, because that's what it says. I followed the proper judicial order. And you know what? In the end of the day, Yahweh knows who's right and who's wrong. So I wasn't going to get a bad attitude toward my leadership. I wasn't going to get a bad attitude toward Yahweh. I simply followed the judicial order he gave. And in the end of the day, you get blessed for it. And shortly after that, the thing gets replaced somehow or another. So the dangerous part is, is when I start to think I know more than Yahweh. When I start to think I know more than everybody. And like I said, the Lunar Sabbath is a perfect example of this. How ridiculously dumb it is. I mean, all throughout the Bible, all through everything. And I hate to say that because I don't want to offend anybody. But it is about the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. For one reason, nobody ever did it in the congregation for 2,000 years. And now we're supposed to believe there's these nothing days and nine day weeks and all this other stuff. 
And why does it come? Not from leadership. Not from ordained elders. It comes from people doing what's right in their own eyes. You will never hear a true elder of Yahweh ever saying anything for the last 2,000 years that the Sabbath is anything but the seventh day of the week. You will never hear an elder ever saying that Yeshua never pre-existed. Or, or the new one that, that, that uh, uh, what was it, Yeshua in, in Lucifer Brothers. All this kind of nonsense that comes up. It comes from deviant people. It comes from people that are not being led by the Spirit of Yahweh. And it comes from people that should not be giving a platform to be able to bring these wares into the congregation. Mark 3.14, I said before, it says, Yeshua, he ordained disciples of twelve that they might be with him, that he might send them to proclaim. He ordained disciples of twelve. We know that. We know the twelve apostles that he ordained. Titus 1, 4 and 5. Titus 1, 4 and 5 says, To Titus, a true son according to our common faith, Grace, mercy, peace from Yahweh the Father and our Master, Yeshua Messiah, our Savior. For this cause I left you in Crete, that you might set in order the things lacking in ordained elders in every city as I ordered you. So here it is. Some people try to say, well, these are not ordained elders. They're only old people. Does that make any sense? That in a day where there's no airplanes, you know, there's no high-speed rails, that he's going to send this guy all over the world to go to an old person and say, you're old? I mean, it's utterly ridiculous. No, he's sending them to the congregation to ordain elders. Because as we'll see here in a second, the qualification of an elder isn't just being an old guy. That's not the qualification. It's a qualification, a spiritual qualification. Why don't we go there? 1 Timothy 3. But like I said, smite the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Smite the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Satan knows more than anything. If you can cut off the leadership, then you've done. For the people that have been to our Bible school, you know that's why we have a whole course on leadership. And like we said, leadership is not what people think. Sometimes, I, I always say this, they did a study in, in university and they found out that close to 80% of people never took a leadership course because they thought, oh, I'm not a leader. All leadership is, is influencing other people. And on the average, every single human being tries to influence another human being four to five times every day of your life. That's leadership. Leadership is influence. Ruth was a leader. Esther was a leader. These people are leaders. So leaders is having the ability to influence other people. And it's extremely important. And that's why Yahweh knows the people that are going to influence His covenant people that could possibly lose their eternal life they need a certain amount of qualifications. So in 1 Timothy 3, let's look at what these qualifications are. Faithful is the word. If anyone desires the office of an elder, he desires a good work. So it's a good thing to aspire to. He who becomes an elder must be blameless. So you can't have all kinds of accusations against you. The husband of one wife. We know the marriage covenant is extremely important. So it's not that... Uh, someone isn't forgiven if they've had multiple wives or whatever, but because this is the leader, this is the person setting the standard, the leader cannot become an ordained elder if he has more than one living wife. He has to be alert mentally, sensible, of good behavior, hospitable, and able to teach, not a drunkard or one whose hand is quick to strike, but humble, not contentious, not loving money, 
Well, already we've probably disqualified about 90% of the people out there, maybe more, right? Ruling his own house well, having children in subjection with all purity. But if anyone does not know how to rule his own house, how will he care for a congregation of Elohim? He should not be a new disciple, lest being puffed up he may fall into the condemnation of the devil. But he must also have a good witness from those outside that he not fall into reproach, into the snare of the devil. And we'll see deacons, it's very similar. So it's not just about being old. I mean, everybody gets old. It's about a very, very strict standard. Because that leader is going to be affecting thousands and thousands of other people. And like I said, tell me, with all of these messianic type teachers out there that are bringing all these things in, that the book of Hebrews is not a book of the Bible, that Paul's letters, Paul was a heretic, all these, all these wild, fancy ideas, you know, where do they fit in 1 Timothy 3? They don't. They don't. What qualifications did they come from? As we'll see from Timothy alone, what Paul said, don't neglect the gift that was given to you for the elderhood by the laying on of hands. Who, who laid hands on these men? You know, nobody. They laid hands on the computer. But nobody laid hands on them. That's about it. They're not qualified. They're not qualified scripturally. It doesn't mean they can't serve. It doesn't mean that they can't go out there and, and, and do ministry. But it does, they are not qualified, according to scripture, to be leaders in the body of Messiah. And that's the reason why I have no desire to meet with these people. For what reason? You know, let them go their way. I, I believe all things work for the good. Yahweh can use them. I'm not judging them. I'm simply setting a standard for these poor, innocent babes that are coming out of the universal church out there in every aspect. You know, false Christianity. And if you don't want to go from the pot into the frying pan, you have to come under judicial order. There has to be a standard to your belief system. You have to follow what Scripture tells us to follow. You know, I, I had, in the last few weeks, I've had several letters that were kind of striking. One was telling me that they're very, very frustrated because they're reading seven different people on the calendar and everybody's saying something different. I said, yeah, that would frustrate me too. <laughs> Why would I want to read seven contrary views on something? You know, and like I said, does it fit the litmus test? If they speak not according to the Torah and the prophets, there's no light in them. Why are people looking toward people that are not even Torah believing people that don't even keep the Ten Commandments? Why are they reading anything they have to say? Makes no sense. Are they following the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3? You know, Somebody else wrote me and said they follow 119 ministries. 119! Whoa! That's almost one a week. It's chaos. It's confusion. You know? So, but it's the Laodicean era. It's the Laodicean era. And I always said this. I don't believe I have all truth. You know? But I'll say this much. I would rather have less truth and be secure in the truth I have than have a little more truth and have my mind spinning in chaos and doubt. Because as you know, I gave this message on doubt two years ago. The worst thing you could ever have in your life is doubt. You know? And I say this, the time is coming, there's a great martyrism coming. You will not die for a doubt. How many people in my former organization for 40 and 50 years were Sabbath keepers? And somebody gets up there and says the Sabbath is not a commandment and they start keeping Sunday. Would they have died for that? No. Yet, when I show you the history of the true believers for the last 2,000 years, thousands upon thousands died for the Sabbath day. And it wasn't a rotating according to the moon. It was every seventh day, Saturday. What we call Saturday. 
The word Sabbath comes from the root Sheva, which is the word seven. You know, it's so simple when we just simply look at the Bible and we're not seeking all this additional knowledge that's coming from Satan and the internet. Because once we start doing that, it becomes very complicated. Let's go to the book of Jude. We'll see what Jude says about some of this. Judah, a slave of Yeshua Messiah, the brother of Jacob, to the called people in Yahweh the Father, having been set apart and having been kept to Yeshua Messiah. Mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Having made all haste to write to you about the common salvation, beloved, I have need to write you to exhort you to contend earnestly for the face once delivered to the saints. Well, he could almost be here in this room saying this today when we see what's happening in the Messianic movement. For certain men stole in, those of old, having been written before to this condemnation, wicked ones, perverting the grace of our Elohim into lasciviousness and denying the only sovereign Elohim in our Master, Yeshua Messiah. But I intend to remind you, though you once knew these things, that Elohim, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, in the second place, destroyed the ones not believing. Then he talks about keeping the cherubs, and then we look, and look what he says in verse 8, likewise, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh and despise authority and speak evil of glories. These people want to deny any type of, of, of leadership. They want to cut down. And then he says, like Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he argued about the body of Moses. He dared not bring a judgment of blasphemy, but said, let Yahweh rebuke you. But what things they do not know, they speak evil of these. And what things they understand naturally, like the animals without reason, they are corrupted by these. Woe to them because they went the way of Cain and gave themselves up to the era of Balaam for reward and perished in the speaking against of Korah. These are those who lead a wasteful feasting life that is blemished, feeding themselves without fear, waterless clouds being carried about by winds, fruitless autumn trees, having died twice. You know, having died twice, meaning that they got baptized and then they're, they're not falling the way, having been plucked up by the roots Wild waves of the sea foaming their shames, wandering stars from whom blackness of darkness have been kept to, to the age. And like we know, you know, it's not about how much knowledge you have. It's not about if you can calculate this or that. It's about how much fruit you're bearing in your life. And to be honest, most of our forefathers in the wilderness did not have a lot of knowledge. It was before the printing press. Many of the times they didn't even have a Bible. They had one Bible. A lot of times not even in their own vernacular. But they held on and cherished those simple truths that today so many have thrown away. And they were willing to die for those truths. And their character followed them though. When they talk about the Waldenses, that they stayed away from society because they didn't even want to take the chance that they would, they, they would maybe get enticed through commerce. They were holy people. They were set apart people. They were not people of the world. That's what it comes down to. How much fruit would bearing? What is your ministry? How are you serving? You know, that's what it's about. That's what, that's what Yahweh's congregation is about. Wherever you are in the world. But you see these people that are trying to destroy the leadership. They have other agendas. Whether they know it or not. They're being led by Satan. 
to come in and cut down any type of leadership, to get people divided, to get them scattered. And to be honest, they're doing a pretty good job. Because, like I said, in 2,000 years, I don't believe with the amount of people, because there's more people today claiming to be believers in Yeshua, but it's never been this divided in the history. It just never is. So, only the Father knows where it will end. Verse 16, These are murmurers, complainers, going according to their lusts, and their mouth speaks proud, flattering words, lifting up faces for the sake of gain. And like I said, people see nothing wrong with it anymore. You know, when I was a young believer, boom, the minute I saw somebody marketing the, the good news, that was a clear tell sign. Stay away from that guy. Don't hear anything he has to say. Today, people don't care less. They're flooding out there, spending $40, $50, $60 on somebody's video. You know, going to the website, putting Yahweh's word in a cart, selling all kinds of stuff, this Torah thing, that Torah thing. They're raking in millions of dollars, and it's sickening to Yahweh. It's absolutely sickening. This is the reason why we abstain. We simply abstain. I don't want to be part of that. We're not selling anything. You know, you can go to our website. You get everything. You download it for free. You can use it. Like we say, the only copyright law we have is copyright away. It's, for, it's, it's about Yahweh's truth going out. It's not about promoting me. It's not about making a ton of money. That's not what it's about. It's a collective effort of the sanctified people of Yahweh, all of us working together toward bringing His kingdom one step further every day of our life. You know? But this is, what, this is what this kind of messianic antics are trying to take away. Let's go to 2 Peter. 2 Peter 2. We'll see what Peter says about this. Because very bold words that are said here in Scripture. 2 Peter 2 says, But false prophets were among the people as also false teachers will be among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, and denying the master, the master who has bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. And there's no worse heresy that's out there today than this whole thing of Yeshua not pre-existing. You know, of Yeshua, some of them just outrightly denying them. I never thought I'd live in an age where I would see by the hundreds people denying Yeshua of even being the Messiah. But if you deny His deity, you're already, you know, three quarters there to denying Him as Messiah. And this is what He's saying. And by covetedness, selling their wares, and with well-turned words, they will use you for gain, for whom judgment from the very beginning has not ceased, and their destruction is always active. For if Elohim did not spare sinning cherubs, but delivered them to chains of darkness, thrust down to Tartaros, having been kept for judgment. And then he gets into the other ones. Uh, verse 10. And especially will he punish those who follow after the filthy lusts of the flesh and have no respect for authority. Self-willed and arrogant they are, and they who do not tremble when they blaspheme. Where cherubs, being greater in strength and power, do not bring against them the condemnation of blaspheming. But these men, like the dumb beasts, which by nature are for slaughter and destruction, speak evil of the things they do not understand, and they will utterly perish in their own corruption. Being about to receive the wages of unrighteousness, as they consider it a delightful thing to revel in the daytime, they are spots and blemishes among you, and sport themselves with their own pleasure feasting along with you in idleness, having eyes full of adultery and never ceasing from sin, seducing unsettled souls, Having a heart being filled with covetousness, they are cursed children who have forsaken the straight path and have gone astray following the way of Balaam, just like we read in the other scripture, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but who was rebuked for his own transgression. Drop down to verse 17. These are springs without water, clouds being driven by a storm. 
for whom the blackness of darkness has been kept forever. For while they speak astonishing words of vanity, they seduce with obscene lusts of the flesh them who have almost abandoned these that walk in error, while promising to them freedom, though them themselves being slaves of corruption, for a man is overcome by whatever it is that enslaves him. So here it is, never follow a man, and you're on your own, and we all have the Spirit, just like Korah. But in the end, what is it bringing? It's bringing confusion and chaos. It's bringing nothing but confusion and chaos and more splintering and splintering and splintering. Matthew 24. Because it's interesting, when you look at a whole chapter, very many verses in chapter 24, all about the end time. Everything Yeshua tells us to watch for, to do everything to His return. Amazing chapter, we read it a lot of time, about the end time. But it's interesting, the very first thing He tells us in Matthew 24. And going out, Yeshua left the sanctuary, and His disciples came to show Him the construction of the sanctuary. But Yeshua said to them, Do you see these things? Truly I say to you, there will not at all be one left, one stone on a stone, which will in no way not be thrown down. And when he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately, saying, When will these things be, and what is the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And answering, Yeshua said to them, See that no man deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and they will cause many to be deceived. And that's what we're seeing today. Many are jumping on the bandwagon, you know, of this messianic movement, but it's more deception to deception to deception. John 7, in verse 16 and 17. And the Jews were marveling and saying, How does this man know the scrolls, since he has not learned them? Yeshua answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but the one who sent me. And like I said, the very basic doctrines of the congregation, the Ten Commandments, the seven-day Sabbath, the holy days, the Passover being on the 14th day of Nisan, the dead being asleep, you know, no immortal soul. All of these basic doctrines have always been there. Always been there from the very beginning, and they're, they're Yeshua's doctrines. They're not something that just came up, but like I said, most of these people don't even have the basis of these basic doctrines. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 3. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 3 says, Even as I called you to remain in Ephesus as I was going to Macedonian, that you might charge some not to teach different doctrines. And most of what you see out there is no doctrine. It's all teachings on Hebrew words and little tidbits of this and this, but no doctrine. Because if they taught doctrine, then you'd have to have some kind of separation line. But you don't see it being taught. But he's saying, he's clearly charging them, commanding them not to preach other doctrines. If you go to chapter 4, the same thing, 1 Timothy 4 and verse 14. Do not neglect the gifting you which was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the elderhood. So clearly, the elder had laid hands on Timothy. He's telling him not to neglect that gift. Then verse 16, Give attention to yourself and to your doctrine, and be firm in them. For doing this, you will both deliver yourself and those hearing you. So again, how can you know it if it's never been taught? Just like we saw in Romans 10 where it says that. How can you know unless someone comes? And how can he come unless you're taught? Blessed are the feet bringing the good news. It doesn't mean that some of these men couldn't have been leaders and teachers, but there's a judicial order. You have to be taught before you can teach others. And the middle step has been skipped in most cases. Second Timothy 4, verse 1 through 5, we're just about finished. Second Timothy 4, Second Timothy 4, 
says, I solemnly charge you before Yahweh and the Master Yeshua Messiah, Him being about to judge the living and the dead at His appearance in His kingdom. Preach the word. Stand by it in season and out of season. Convict, warn, encourage with all patience and teaching. For a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own lusts, they will add to themselves extra teachers according to their own desires. And they will turn away their ears from the truth, and they will be turned aside to fables. But you be clear-minded in all, suffer hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. And here we are. We're living in these times exactly like he said. That people are not, they're, they're turning to these things, they're not willing to understand, they don't want to understand the truth, and they're turning away. End time due to the internet, the Laodicean spirit, people will not follow sound doctrine of the elders. And it's a spirit. It's a spirit that's there. A spirit that's leading them. The last scripture is 2 John. 2 John 1. Only chapter. Verse 7. It says, Because many deceivers went out of the world, those not confessing Yeshua Messiah, to have come in the flesh. Such a person is a deceiver and an anti-Messiah. Watch yourselves, that we may not lose the things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Everyone transgressing and not abiding in the doctrine of Messiah does not have Yahweh. The one abiding in the doctrine of Messiah, this one has the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bear this doctrine, do not receive him into your house and do not speak a greeting to him. Very clearly, this, this one, this doctrine, the Yahweh only, Yeshua never existed. You know, it's not scriptural. We could prove it just like I did a few months back on showing uh, the family of Yahweh in the book of Genesis. You, you, you see it over and over and over again. But people want to bring this doctrine. They want to deny Yeshua. They want to deny his, his, his uh, deity. And he clearly says here that these people, should, we should not follow or listen or allow them into your fellowship. Don't give them a platform, but stay away from such. So what is the answer? Like we talked about this year at the school, stay in the camp. Stay in the camp. When you look at ancient Israel, you were protected in the camp. When you look in, in the Bible, wherever you see stories of people going outside the camp, that's where trouble happens. There's deception outside, and you're protected in the camp. Again, I'll say this because people will misinterpret. By far, I am not saying I am the only person in the world that people should be following. I'm not saying that whatsoever. We have hundreds of congregations around the world, and there's hundreds of other congregations. As a matter of fact, in a time where you have thousands of split-offs of split-offs of split-offs, I'm sure there's, there's thousands of, of people that were properly ordained that have proper doctrine that's out there. This message is not a message to try to draw people to me. It's a message to get people to test the spirits and see if they're of Yahweh. To test the people you're listening to, to make literally write down some kind of parameter according to Scripture. And if a person, no matter how good one uh, message may be, if they don't fit the biblical parameter of being a biblical teacher, then abstain from them. That's the point of what this is about. Helping all of us for that. But everybody should be under some kind of judicial order or you'll be deceived. I know when we were talking about this last night with the organization I came out of Church of God, if they did not fall away from the Sabbath and the truths I came into, I probably would still be there today. You know, Yahweh forbid. <laughs> but it was all according to His will. But one thing I knew, 
when the organization fell apart, I knew it wasn't going to be Don Esposito Ministries. I was smart enough to know that. I knew that somehow, maybe now I'm in the wilderness, and it did take a couple of years, and praise Yahweh, because He takes you sometimes in the wilderness, and there is a time that you need to be by yourself. There's a time you need to regroup. There's a time you need to redo your doctrine, which I did for several years, because I wanted to see what was provable and what wasn't, because if the, if, if the congregation went that far off, that now they're teaching you don't even have to keep the Sabbath, where else did they go off that maybe I didn't know about it? But I knew there would have to be a point I had to get back to the congregation. I knew there had to be a point I had to be under some kind of submission to other leaders or I was going to be in trouble. Because that's the key. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And if we are by ourselves and we're only listening to our own mind, ultimately we're going to be deceived. There has to be checks and balance. So wherever that is in anybody's life who may hear this, you have to make sure that somewhere down the line there's some kind of judicial order. Because without it, you're definitely going to get deceived. That is why there's so much confusion. Very simple. Because there's no judicial order. Everybody is doing what is right in their own eyes. Just like the book of Judges. Interesting enough, if 30 years ago, I would have bring up and I would just say, that I'm going to prophesy and say, 30 years from now, there is going to be this thing called the internet. The what? <laughs> the internet. Where you're going to be able to have this little, little, tiny thing in your hand, 24 hours a day, where anytime someone says anything, you can check it out. Any fact that's said, any question you have, my side hurts. What happens when the side hurts? Would you think that's going to bring more truth into the world or more confusion? Everybody would have said it'll bring more truth. How can it bring confusion? Now, if I say something, you could be checking it out as I'm speaking, you know? And yet, look at the end result. The end result is brought more confusion, not more truth. Why? Because it's replaced Yahweh's judicial order. And the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And although, yes, the internet does have things sometimes that you can quickly find out. You know, maybe somebody's choking and they only have a minute and you have to find out how to get the ball out, you know. You might check it out. But at the same rate, for every good thing you find on the internet, you'll find at least two bad things. And again, like I said, I'm a mathematician. I don't like odds of the law of odds and probability when they're against me. I want to put them in my favor. I want everything I do to be at least 50-50 or higher chance of success. And that's not a high chance of success following the internet. So, again, may Yahweh bless. May He guide you. And may we all be seeking the only word of truth that comes from Him. Yahweh bless.